All right, welcome back to the Jaunty Mantis. This is a podcast full of creative questions for curious gamers. I'm your host, Maddie, and with me is my co-host, Jesse. Jesse, say hello. Oh, you, you didn't set me up for the joke. That's because we've oh, overdone it. <laughs> I, loops, man. It, it'll come back around. It'll be funny. Of course okay, it will. Okay, let's funny. try it again. Okay. All Hello, right. Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Jaunty Mantis podcast. And this is a podcast about creative questions for curious gamers. We talk about tabletop role-playing games in this podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Maddie, and I have with me my beautiful co-host, Jesse. Hello. And Jesse, what is our question for this episode? How do you start writing your own campaign? Interesting. You know, this is a this is kind of a funny coincidence for me, Jesse, because I just edited today the episode where I think this topic originated, which was our Why Should You GM episode, which at the time we're recording this will have already gone up. And in that episode, you kind of uh, admit on that episode that you've never done this. You have never designed your own campaign. And I mistook this to be campaign setting but that's not what you were talking about. So can you like re-elaborate on the point that you made in that episode and what we're talking about today then? Yeah, yeah, sure thing. Um, So I have run campaigns and I have designed my own campaign settings, but never actually like done much extended play in them. Uh, but like going back to this assumptions issue that we talked about uh, in a recent episode about like how long a campaign is, even if you're just designing a campaign with a limited arc of like, we're going to do like, like 12, 12 sessions and that'll be the campaign. Um, like what I always get analysis paralysis starting off. Um, like one of the things, obviously you want to know the PCs, but with the rate that I play games at, I'm like, I want to know what PCs you want to play. So fun session zero. Okay, now I've got one week to kickstart this entire <laughs> thing because I waited. Um, I feel like I'm just waiting for the perfect form to fill out. Like, what is like column one A? Like a tax form for a campaign. What what do mm -hmm. I need to fill out? And I know you write your own campaigns. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm currently getting back to writing the Eberron campaign, which uh, for the listeners. So we've recorded episodes farther in advance than some of the others. So things for anyone who may be listening to every episode. And if you're out there, thank you. Uh, that's amazing to me. But uh, just to kind of set the timeline straight, when we originally started recording episodes for this podcast, the Eberron game was kicking off. And then because of life circumstances, we had to take a bit of a break on it. And now I am coming back to that. So I'm looking over my old notes, what we did in the first couple of adventures and where I want the campaign to go moving forward. So this is a great topic for me as well. So 
I have a lot of experience writing campaigns and I think that um, I think you're never going to get the perfect circumstances you're looking for. You mentioned like, you know, a session zero with one week to prep and, and that makes so much sense to me. I think that's a common mistake I make too. And I think in the future, if I'm going to do a session zero, I, pr- I will preface the group that we will not be starting this game for at least a month uh, after that session zero. So I can properly weave in that those kind of elements in. If you had a perfect scenario like that, wh- how important is the session zero to what you want to do with a campaign? I feel like if I had a general arc, right? So let's, let's just say um, that you took like a, you know, uh, we're going to save the world from an evil. Right. And that's the campaign arc that I want to do. And I have a finite into it and I have a starting place in mind or whatever. I feel like you can go ahead and write that up, whatever you do for your writing. And then at the session zero, be like, okay, this campaign is an arc where a menace is going to threaten the world. I'd like you to play characters that are interested in saving it. Mm -hmm. I'd like you to make a character that like cares about these stakes. Mm -hmm. Um, and is generally a hero. Okay. Like, I don't feel like there's anything wrong with saying that in the session zero. Mm-hmm. So th- how do you then accurately transmit that to the player characters? Like in my example for the Eberron cam- uh, campaign, and maybe if I can get the other guys permission to do this, we'll, we'll put this out as a bonus episode, like with video or whatever. Um, and I'll show the, I took, I have a Squarespace account and I basically made a private Squarespace, a portion of my Squarespace website that had a, uh, character creation tree or a flow to it where for the Eberron game, I said, okay, you guys are all loyal members of the nation of Siri. You either are, were born here or your family emigrated here or immigrated or what I can't, I don't understand words. Sorry. But like, um, the whole point is like you are serving in the Syrian military on the day of mourning. You care about this. This is important to you. And that's how I tried through that character creation process. I tried to impress upon the players that they are playing heroic characters that care about this world and wanted, you know, um, be loyal to Siri and, and see victory. So how are you going to transmit your goal for your campaign setting of a heroic character? Yeah, I think, I mean, I feel like it's just the conversation like you have at Sessions here. Like, this is the type of PCs I want to be in this campaign. Is everybody cool with that? Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine in any of my groups people being like, no, I want to be the most evil guy ever. I'm like, okay, if someone did that, perhaps you just sit you sit this one out. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's not my issue. I'm not afraid to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, like, this is the kind of story I want to tell none of y'all want a GM. So (laughs) if we're going to play this game, this is the kind of story I want us to, you know, to tell. So, so please do this. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine anyone bucking that. I don't even think it's like an authority issue. Yeah, that is perfectly fine. And I'm sure that would work in most circumstances. My neurotic personality is not satisfied with just getting people to agree to things <laughs> like I want them to buy into it. I want a commitment. I want them to be interested in it. And this is where your style pays off way more than mine, because this is that e- um, efficiency that is a part of Jesse's 
GMing style is he knows how to get what he's looking for and capitalize on it. Whereas like I'm constantly like adding more or redesigning or trying to do too much. Uh, so for my, for my games, uh, for my campaigns, like I want buy-in, I don't just want an agreement. I'm not going to ask people to read a huge, you know, wall of text, but I do want to try to get some sort of buy-in that makes you as a player character invested in this world instead of just being like, yep, I'm fine. I'm fine with playing a hero because in my head as a player, I can redefine what that means in the moment. You know, that's as, as malleable as alignment. Yeah. But I can't, at the end of the day, I, you can't control player behavior. And you shouldn't. Yeah. The only way you should control player behavior is that if your players are behaving in a way that you don't fundamentally agree, agree with, it's time for that adult conversation or it's just time to get out of that group. That's the only way you should be controlling player behavior, in my opinion. Yeah, just, I'd, I'd add, and I think this is intended there, but like if what player is making the game not fun for other players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can be like, oh, well, I'm going to control your your behavior by asking you to leave. Like, right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like for hooks, though, like, so this is my thing. Like, I just don't know. What's the first thing you write? Like, do you mm-hmm. put pen to paper? Or you just keep it in your head. What's the first thing when you sit down to campaign? What's what's the seed? What's the genesis? The genesis is the overall idea, the concept, the reason why you want to do this in the first place, because even though we just release an episode about how fucking cool it is to be a dungeon master or a game master and it is and you should do it it's also a difficult job in many circumstances and it can be a thankless job and so you have to have a reason to want to run a campaign that if you're going to design one or put one together you have to have a reason for it and what's that reason what's is it a concept is it a book, an intellectual property you want to explore? Uh, do you have a do you have a, a a desire to play in the Star Wars universe? You know what I mean. At a certain point in time, and you want to see how that goes. Do you want to run a horror campaign, or do you you know like what is your desire for the group? Like what what is the reason, Jesse, that you want to do this campaign? Okay. Like you have a cool book. If I'm if I'm remembering correctly, this comes from that five E um Dawn of Time. Yeah, Plangea. Plangea. Yeah. Which you you have talked more about and it sounds like a fucking awesome uh setting. So you really want to do what with this book in this setting for a campaign? I want to, I want to showcase the world. I mean, that's, and that's, I think the answer for any of the concept games that I want to do, I want to showcase the world like 90% of the time. If I want to do riffs, I want to showcase how weird that world is. If I want to do Plangea, I want to show off how weird the world is. Um, and if I want to do like, what's my other concept? Oh yeah. For the Transformers game, I have kick around the back of my head. I want to make it grown up. <laughs> like better than Michael Bay did. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and yeah. that's a great look. That is one of the best reasons to be a game master and do a campaign is you're like, "Hey, I thought the Michael Bay Transformers movies were terrible and I want to like I want to do something better than that." 
which I haven't seen those movies, but it sounds like they're fucking horrible. So, you know, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense to me. And that's something you can really get players excited about, you know? So like, that's what I would think is start with your mission statement or, or your concept of like, this is what, I, this is how my elevator pitch would go to my players. Not since you're not trying to pitch them on playing in this game, just assume for your pitch that they already want to play in this game. You know, so if you if there's this there's this thing in screenwriting, or at least it used to be, I don't know what it is anymore, but there's it's this idea that you have an elevator pitch ready to go so that if you accidentally find yourself on an elevator with I don't know, fucking Tom Hanks or something, like you can just fire it off and get them in that moment and get them interested. So I would come up with an elevator pitch for this campaign setting. Like for so step me, one elevator pitch yeah step one is elevator pitch yeah like for me for the eberron game i don't want to run an eberron setting uh, eberron campaign because of the setting like i want to run a game that is very character intensive that uses the um that uses the events of the world and anchors the characters to that living world and gives them the ability to impact it in a way that um, I typically don't see in Dungeons and Dragons games, right? Usually in D&D games that I'm used to, you start out, you're low level, you gain power, you fight harder enemies, like eventually you fight beholders and then mind flayers. And then you get to a point where it's like you challenge the gods or go into space or something. And that's fine, but that's really played out in my opinion. And Eberron gives you the opportunity to jump right into a living history that's happening in the moment um, and, and allows the player characters to get involved and have a direct impact on it. And I want to run like a very character focused game where we are developing these characters and having them make hard decisions and challenging the player characters with the events of the story and have consequences at play. And I think Eberron's just the best vehicle to do that in Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. I think then if I had to think about it as what's the elevator pitch for like, say the dark sun game I've been kicking around as mm-hmm. well. I'm st- I am still got to think more about Plangia cause I'm just so overawed by the book <laughs> at this moment. Um, in a world of savage brutality, mm-hmm. a sword and sorcery world of savage brutality, I would like to tell a story of small acts of resistance and hope in the face of near overwhelming odds, full of last person standing at the gates moments mm-hmm. um, to carve out something meaningful to these people in this incredibly shitty place. Right, right. And Dark Sun's perfect for that. Like Dark Sun is our best way to get back to Conan Bar- Conan the Barbarian. Well, that's know. the thing about Dark Sun I realized in my adult in the last 2 years cuz I always reading the books as a kid, I thought this is such a neat setting, this is so weird and I love the Brahm art and all the cool like bone weapons and ah oh, man, it's so bleak and it's ah and yeah, the environmentalism and they blew it up, damn it. They used all the magic and look what they <laughs> did and uh, I love I love all of this, but I was thinking in campaign frames of like uh, a normal D and D game, mm-hmm. and if you play that way in Dark Sun, you'll die. Right. Um, and then recently, I realized, oh, it's Conan. It's Conan the Barbarian. Like, yep. 
you were the one that pointed this out to me. So I'm, when I'm, when I'm saying these things, I'm just echoing our private conversations and I like, I I, say a lot of things. (laughs) Well, you were the one that turned me on to this because listening to past episodes, uh, you like, like, uh, you know, Dark Sun was the genesis of me becoming a, a a dungeon master, a game master, and I have a love and appreciation for that setting uh, that goes very deep. And you opened my eyes about how it is basically just post apocalyptic just it's post apocalyptic fantasy meets Co- Conan the Barbarian, sword and sorcery, and fantasy has gotten to such a point where we're using so many different tropes and expectations that dark sun is now super refreshing. It's like, we've come back around to this idea of sword and sorcery and dark sun is the perfect inheritor of this concept. It makes me want wizards to put out an adequate dark sun five E setting. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. You just lean like the, the bat, all the guys in the city are bad. They're all mm-hmm. corrupt. Like they're all corrupt. They're all bad. They're all, evil cackling mustachio they all have sinister plans they're all willing to sacrifice the lives of thousands for their own entertainment like mm-hmm. yeah and so i want to start with like uh, a try in a slave tribe basically uh i would i would love to like the character you are members of this slave tribe uh and i was thinking for a campaign framework i'd start up like here's a couple important npcs ask some questions about this pc like what is the act of kindness in your captivity that made you appreciate this person um you know what did you risk together you know when you escaped like and then there are some local threats in a sort of sandboxy style around the slave camp that eventually cues on to a much much bigger threat um that is not just for your tribe but for all peoples and you know might go in to save the world or you know you might use the chaos to cover the corrupt bastards that prop this whole system up mm-hmm. yeah like what would you do if you had the ability to challenge the saucer kings uh what what would be you know what would what kind of decision would the party make you know like maybe this is an important you know, if the first part of this is the elevator pitch, then maybe the second part is where, where does it end? Like, what is like, not happily ever after, but like, if I was thinking of running a dark sun campaign, I'd be like, here's my elevator pitch to get us going. But then my finisher pitch or whatever terminology we come up for it is I want to put the PCs in a difficult position where they either, when they defeat a sorcerer king, they have to decide to either become one and things get bad or leave that seat vacant and things get worse, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Like that's how I would want to end a dark sun campaign is like, you need to become one of these necessary evils that's out there, you know? So um, if we're going back to the original idea, um, what would be that that end cap then? If your elevator pitch is like this Pangea-style 5e game, what is the end cap for that setting? Um, I mean, the, the big bad force uh, is uh, Dregoth. Like the end cap of the campaign is Dregoth rises or Dregoth is prevented from rising. Mm -hmm. 
Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. Um, so then I guess at this point you have to figure out what the guts of it are. You could do, if you're like me, you'll do a treatment, right? You have our, our elevator pitch and our end cap. Then the next stage is to come up with a treatment, which is not an outline. It's not a multi-page Bible. It's at most a page, although I would caution you from doing a full page. I would caution anybody from doing a full page because as we know, things change. But do a treatment about like um, the stories you want to tell, the important notes you want to hit, what are the major events that you want to take place, knowing full well that all of this could change tomorrow. So what would your treatment then look like for our current example? Like what are the important notes you want to hit through the power progression, the adventures, you know, like in the game that we're playing in our 5e game, our friend John is doing an amazing job uh, running this game as a sandbox game. I'm jealous of his ability to just let things flow. And there's a lot of like shenanigans and chicanery and goof em ups and fun. Um, but there's, you know, we could just go do anything at this point. And he's done such a great job of making that believable because you and I are both game masters. We both know that the most sandboxy thing is it still has guardrails up. Right. So yeah. being able to convince us that we could go do anything in this setting that the game is running in. I think that speaks to one of his talents as a game master for sure. So is, do you want your game to have that kind of feel to it? Or do you want certain milestones to take place? So some of the set pieces that I have in mind are like for the initial adventures, there's some local needs in the community and some threats that are present. Mm -hmm. If the PCs have made characters according to the session zero who care about this and are focused on the relationships with the NPCs through the questions we asked in the first session of play or session zero, they'll rise to the occasion. There is a predator that is hunting you know, the crodlu, the few crodlu they managed to ranch. And so they've got to go deal with that predator. Um, like uh, one of the kids who's been born in the tribe is missing. Uh, and so they need to go find the just, you know, some basic low level adventure stuffs. Uh, a sandstorm has unrevealed, you know, like an ancient stone building in the desert and probably link that to the kid being mm. missing as well. Just some stuff to get them out there exploring what's around, um, having some adventures, getting to know the town and the people. And then the next beat is uh like a group of you know a group of elves possibly in the employ of a merchant house discovers the slave tribe's location mm -hmm. and run for it mm -hmm. um they probably get away mm -hmm. because you know they're elves and mm -hmm. athasian elves uh good luck outrunning them right right they get away and then um you know like a, a defiler with some troops of a sorcerer king is marching through the area, not necessarily looking for them, but his path is going to take them across. Are the two things connected? Who knows? Um, but then, you know, so there's that issue. And then tailing on that, they get the first signs of the whole Dregoth thing that is the end part of the campaign. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Okay. 
because that's what the defiler is actually searching for is Guistanol, the mm-hmm. city sealed sea, you know? Right. So. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you had, that's enough for a treatment and you, you're want to paint with broad strokes in a treatment, right? So then the next step is to answer questions, I think. Um, cause I always find that helpful in the creative process is like, what is my biggest challenge going to be? What do I do when things go wrong? Um, what, like, um, how many paths is this supposed to take, you know, towards completion? How many sessions should this go for? How quickly am I going to advance them and level? Is it going to be standard experience? You're going to do milestones. Um, what am I willing to give up? You know, like I'll start asking myself these questions because these are the things that inevitably come into play. Right. So what kind of questions would you have for yourself now that you've got your, your, you've got your elevator pitch, your end cap, your treatment in between. Now you need to ask yourself some difficult questions about this campaign. What do you think those will be? I don't know. Do you have any ideas? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I would say the one, the one important question to always ask yourself when you want to do a setting is, and maybe this is too negative or uh, to do a campaign, I, I should say, maybe this is too negative, but like th- things never go according to plan. So like what happens if we don't meet that goal? What happens if, I have a villain and they kill the villain right out. What happens if they're not interested in the story that I'm telling? Like, um, how much freedom do I want to give the story to progress? You know, and you don't have to spend a ton of time thinking about these. You just want to, you just want to have these kind of floating in your head so that you know how to answer them when those problems start happening. Because, in my opinion, designing a setting, you could do all of the, you could do a hundred years worth of work and then everything will go to shit. So you start, you need to ask yourself difficult questions about, okay, when this stops working or when this doesn't work or when this doesn't land properly, right? You want to run that age of Sigmar game. What happens when the, um, the priority or the brevity of the story is not landing the way it should. Why aren't they taking this as seriously as they should? Why aren't they buying into this setting the way that I do? And what am I going to do about it? And you don't need to write these down. You just need to be kind of cognizant of it because I think the last question you need to ask yourself in this phase is what do I need to do to get this started right now? Because I think the biggest challenge in any creative process is getting started, maintaining momentum, and then like sticking the landing, like just getting it done. Like you need to forgive yourself. You know, this is a, this is a common thing my dad says. He's like, people need to forgive themselves or remind them that remind themselves that they're not perfect. And you need to do that when you're designing a setting, you need to be like, like, I just need to have a plan and then be able to adjust that plan for when things go wrong. Yeah, I think, well, one of the things I would do for Dark Sun or Plangia is they have a great little tribe generator, like where you throw dice on the table to do the map of the tribe's encampment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's some cues off the dice for what they are. Make a couple important NPCs 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, give them, you know, nothing else, just like a goal mm-hmm. and like maybe a taking a Mike Shea sly flourish. Like, like this person is, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, this is Steve Bashimi. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, just a little note to do that character. Um, the, yep. the druid who protects the town's water supply is Steve Bashimi. <laughs> yeah. That's a great point. Like that is one of my favorite sections of the lazy GM uh, lazy dungeon master books is that that part about developing NPCs. It's like, think of a character from a movie or a book or a show. And then if you need to change their gender or something else about them to make them just different enough, but make that the tags for those NPCs, like exactly what you said, it's this person so that you have something to draw on. And my question is, can you also then do that for the setting as a whole? Because in that same vein, you don't want to overtax yourself with work. Like one of the things I do, like with the Eberron game as an example, is I was like, okay, what do I need to do to get this started right now? And the answer was, okay, so this game starts on the day of mourning. The war is happening, the Great War. The characters are soldiers of Siri. Let's put them in a fortress type environment and they have to defend it from an army that's trying to take it like let's just keep it simple this is how we start war is hell let's go right what is your simplest path to starting this campaign yeah just the the problems the community faces like a predator Mm -hmm. has been you know like we need someone to go take out we think it's a leer uh, but we need someone to go, you know, hunt down, drive off or kill this thing that's been getting at our herd animals because, you know, that's perfect. We need them. It's perfect because then you can also use that as an opportunity to teach them about what the setting entails. You're going out into the desert. You know, what happens when they realize they didn't bring enough water uh, or what? Why they die? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like put them in those situations that teaches you what dark sun truly is. Yeah. You know, it's the ranch land. So if they do run out of water and get in trouble, they're not too far away that a runner from the tribe couldn't stumble across them and be like, Oh no, you like, I'll help you because we are actually a community of people who care about each other because you know, we are worth saving. That's, that's the thing I want the, the tribe little settlement to convey. Like, it is not an easy life, but it is emotionally a life that a lot of people on Athens don't get to live and worth, you know, mm-hmm. worth fighting for. Yeah. And that'll be a great contrast, you know, once oh, they see man. what the rest of the world is like. No matter what mechanics I do in it, like, um, yeah, what I'll use inspiration no matter what mechanics system I'm in, even if I'm running it in old school essentials or something. And then like every session when it starts, you can do like a flashback. Mm, I love it. To your to your captive life. And if you're willing to do a little like flat narrated flashback to like your life in captivity to be, you know, immediately tonally balanced by life in the tribe, uh, you get inspir- in a point of inspiration. I love it. Might I 
suggest another way of doing this for you to consider? Yeah, sure. And this is based on something you said in a past episode about how you can get the gist of any game and how its rules work by how they award experience. And, you know, in 5e D&D, you gain experience from killing monsters. What if in this Dark Sun game that we're talking about, you're not getting experience from killing monsters. You're getting experience from flashbacks. Mm. Like you could, if it was in 5e, you could use the milestone system. Like you just announced up front, we're using the milestone system for experience. It'll take three milestones to get to level two. um, And I'll let you know when you pass a milestone. Right? And then you say you prompt the players with a flashback opportunity. Let them take this wherever they want it to. You know, you can ask for more as it's happening. But at the end of it, you say, okay, you've completed one milestone. What do you think? I think that's a pretty good idea. (laughs) I love inspiration too. After Baldur's Gate 3, I'm like an inspiration whore. (laughs) (laughs) Like the way I'm going to do inspiration now moving forward is um, from the cipher system. I'm going to be like, cool. You get two points of inspiration. One you get to keep for yourself. One you get to give to another player character of your choice. So on that, while while you mentioned that, I just wanted to bring this up because I would probably be willing to steal um, something like this from it. I'm not sure this is a player resource, but I think it's pretty close to the actual experience chart in Rifts. So think of everything you know about Rifts and Rifts reputation. Here's how you level up in Rifts. You perform a skill, successful or not. You get a piddling amount of experience points for that. A clever but futile idea. A clever, useful idea. A quick-thinking idea or action. A critical plan or action saving yourself or an ally. A critical plan or action that saves the entire group. That's like the biggest experience reward on there. Is like saving the group. Mm-hmm. Um, endangering yourself to save others is a pretty hefty chunk self-sacrifice to save others is a pretty hefty chunk avoiding unnecessary violence okay this is riffs where uh-huh. <laughs> avoiding unnecessary violence is a hundred experience points mm-hmm. right i mean just this whole thing as like if i had actually read this as a teenager playing riffs, I would have had some very different game experiences because I've been like, oh, yeah, I got to protect people. I got to help people. I got to have good plans. I got to avoid unnecessary violence. And yeah, if I kill or subdue a major menace, there are experience. Okay. Killing or subduing a great menace, 150 to 300 experience points. Right. Sacrifice to save others, 500 to 700 experience points. <laughs> That paints a different picture of riffs. It, it's a very different picture, right? Mm-hmm. Wow. I might just keep experience points and take this. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Is it possible to run a Dark Sun game in a Palladium system? Uh, technically, yes. <laughs> well, technically, yes. That answers everything, right? Like, is it something you would want to do? 
Nah. What is your ideal system then for Dark Sun? So I want it to be mechanically similar enough to second edition D&D that using the magic system, preserving and defiling has defined rules and matters. Mm -hmm. And I want there to be a psionic system, but I don't necessarily want as much crunch as Mm 3.5. And I don't want as much Baroqueness as running it in 2E as a total retro thing. Yeah. So I'm thinking that old school essentials player made dark sun hack i've been reading that i think that might be the way to go it Mm -hmm. captures the lethality but it's flexible enough to hack in things like inspiration um and you know if we use experience points hey there's a cool experience point list because Riffs in all Palladium games are basically Kevin Symbiota's homebrew. <laughs> it's similar enough in its bones to to advance Dungeons and Dragons, and I think this experience chart actually would do the progression pretty pretty well, mm-hmm. despite how distant those branches are to old school essentials. And besides, I mean, I got this really cool looking box set, right? Like, mm-hmm. look at that crazy crazy yep. wizard guy on the cover doing his thing yep like, for oh, our man. audio listeners there's a fantastic cover on the box set of old school essentials it's a wizard made with a bony rib cage and flaming eyes going on ah, raising his hand mm-hmm, mm-hmm. great also yeah. listeners sorry if my microphone just blew up when i banged a box into it as i was excitedly showing that things it's fine I think there there was a point made on the um, Dungeon Craft YouTube channel. I think he did a whole video about it, uh, how too much crunch makes for a slower game. And, yeah. and in his opinion, that's a bad thing. And I respect his opinion. I'm a fan. Um, and, you know, I'm not a huge fan of anything, depending on what the season is. Sometimes I am, sometimes I'm not. But... I do like that channel and I do like his videos to a certain extent. Um, and I think that's a good one. I just don't agree. I think I think crunch can slow down a game, but I don't think that's a bad thing. I think if your group wants to have that pace of that game, I think crunch is a perfectly acceptable thing. Like make the crunchiest thing you can sink your teeth into. If your players are on board for it, like the pace is irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Can you think of high crunch and service of story or is high crunch almost always simulationist? High crunch is primarily simulationist, but it depends on what you're applying that crunch to and what you're choosing to reward which parts of the crunch. And I think that experience point example is a perfect example of that, right? With your riffs example, I can think of so many circumstances where I would sacrifice things in a crunch game to get more experience if that's how you did it. But because in 3.x D&D, you gain experience from killing monsters. So that's where the crunch, the majority of the crunch is going to be. And then the awful byproduct of that is that when everything, what was that expression? When everything, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? So I think that's the example. It depends on where the crunch is. You know, if the crunch are in social encounters and role-playing dynamics, um, what like a Legends of the Five Rings? Five. What 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 is that setting? I'm like mixing things up in my head. Legend now. of the Five Rings, L five R. 
Yeah, isn't that a a interaction crunch game? It depends on the campaign frame, game? but probably if you are, I forget what it's called. Like the default campaign assumption, I think, is that you're basically like wardens. You're like cops. You're samurai cops of different noble houses who are like traveling the roadways, investigating stuff for the imperial throne, and occasionally fighting demons. Mm-hmm. I, I think a great description I heard I heard of that is like in a world where everyone walks around with a three foot long straight razor on their hip, people are generally pretty polite. Yeah. <laughs> All I know is that I've seen those nerds at conventions and dude, I am so fucking jealous. Like I love nerds. I am a nerd, but there are some things I just can't get into and I'm jealous of people that can. And I think it was the last time I was at Gen Con pre-pandemic. It was a when you and I were there together, and there was oh a yeah, huge... they were releasing the new uh, the yeah. new L five R card game, and there was a big event. Mm-hmm. And there were people dressed up in these elaborate cosplay, and I was just like, "Fuck, man! I wish I was into something like I was into this, you know, where I would get dressed up and shit." Because like I like that's some crazy shit. I love it. Yeah, I would want to do it with something that doesn't like simulate traditional Japanese clothing myself mm-hmm. personally. But... That's the other part, right? Like there's a <laughs> yeah. problematic element to it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll just sure. make like a leather harness and tie a like skull to my shoulder and get a long sharp piece of bone and get a real bad sunburn and do some dark sun cosplay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so is Dark Sun going to be the campaign you run? It seems like that's kind of the one we're leaning to. I the thing is, I think like I can do the same prep for Plangia and Dark Sun at the same time. I think I can I can flesh out both of these because mm-hmm. Plangia is a primal, you know, sort of world. Okay. Um, with these sort of primal threats, mm-hmm. um, and could be a very much sword and sorcery, mm-hmm. like. I don't know. There's there's some cool stuff in there that I haven't really talked about yet, like the campaign arcs. Um, or not no, I did talk about it, but like the core principles of what it is, like how to run this game. And one of them is like kinetic intensity. Like Okay. What is kinetic intensity? Like don't have a fight in the middle of a grassland. Have the fight occur on the backs of a herd of stampeding dinosaurs. Mm. Um yeah, pulp action. Yeah, yeah, like go go way over the top. And when you think about an encounter, think how can I make this crazier? Mm-hmm. Like there should be like goblins swinging from vines with like bone battle axes, like you know, distracting a T Rex so they can get to you. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you know, yeah, you want you know. Speaking of problematic, Walt Disney when he established what an Imagineer was back in the day. Um, like the kind of the pedigree of that individual creatively was they would come up with something they'd bring him to him and he'd be like, okay, now take it to the next level. Like he would challenge them to do something more than that. And he'd be like, you're an Imagineer. Like this isn't good enough. You have to go above and beyond. Right. So if we can kind of recapture that term of Imagineer, uh, like think of yourself in that context as a, as a game master, you want to run a fight. It's in a tavern or whatever. 
it's like, how can I design this? And then what do I need to just kick it up a notch and then kick it up another notch and make it even more exciting? Like, just make it crazy. This is fantasy, you know? Yeah. Like, I respect people who want to do simulationist and grim, dark and gritty and realistic. And there are some great videos out there about how, like, fighting with two weapons is ridiculous. Um, uh, what's the guy's name? Lindy Beige, I think, does a great series of videos about how ridiculous it is to fight with two weapons. And he uses a tennis player as an example. And he's like, if somebody's hitting a tennis ball to you and you have a tennis racket, do you want two of them or one of them? And then he goes through the just the the swinging motions you would have to do with two of them and how you'd have less power, less accuracy, and it would wear you out faster. And he's like, he's like, it doesn't make sense for people to fight with two weapons, you know, and that's he's fine. just not as good with the sword as Burdine Cleargrain is. That's-, <laughs> that's fine. But like, look, we want to be Mad Mardigan. Yep. You know? Yep. I mean, the I told I, my favorite part of Wolves of God. Okay. Yeah, it's basically like a game book about seventh century Anglo Saxons, and the conceit is it's written by a monk of the time talking about the games of the Anglo Saxons. And in the combat chapter, there's a thing about fighting with two weapons, and it actually his commentary is, "Good heavens, no, not in my game. <laughs> How are you to take fight in the shield wall with?" while you're prancing about like some sort of like, and then it goes into a bunch of words I don't understand. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's a paragraph at the bottom. that's like, if you want to do it, just do it, do it this way. But like the tone is like you fight in a shield wall with your, your, you know, your kin and your brothers. You don't run out with two swords like an mm-hmm. idiot. Yeah. Star Wars is rife with this problem. Like is somehow somebody gets tossed another lightsaber and then they have two of them and you're sp- it's supposed to be like a, Oh shit kind of moment. But ever since I watched that video, I'm like, well, this is extremely impractical for this to happen. He's actually at a significant disadvantage now. And it's like, it's a fucking space fantasy movie with wizards and magic and laser swords. Like, have you ever sword fought somebody while you're using two swords? No, I've never sword fought anybody with one or two swords. Oh, okay. I mean, I did when I was a kid, but yeah, I did up until I was a teenager. Okay. Like what fencing and shit? No, I mean, not professionally, but like, you know, whacking each other with sticks. Mm -hmm. And I like two swords. I'm just saying. (laughs) Yeah, but that only works because like somebody starts swinging two things at you and you're like, what the fuck? You're just trying to get away from it. No, you just, you catch the attack. Like someone, you just, you bat them away until they overhand. Then you catch the attack and gut them with the other one. You know, Mm. it's just like a longer, sharper shield. Right. Right. Well done. Well done. Well, I look forward to seeing which campaign you decide to run with. Was this helpful at all for you? This was incredibly helpful. Good. Good. This is this is the one where I'm like, we should write a book. <laughs> yeah, we will eventually. I think, you know, we gotta we gotta okay, so we gotta figure out a Patreon. We have to yep. I've made extensive notes on things that we've talked about for mechanics from our episodes, because I think there could be a an actual um game in our future. And then of course, why not write a book, right? Yeah. But when you're designing a setting, the most important thing you need to do is figure out how you start. If you're going to design 
if you're going to do a campaign, sorry, setting or campaign, it's the same same thing. I keep getting them mixed up because I'm stupid. But if you're going to run a campaign, if you're going to design your own campaign, the, the most important takeaway from this conversation should be like, what do I need to do to start right now? Yep. All right. Well, if, uh, well, this has been the Jaunty Mantis TTRPG podcast. It's like my favorite thing to do every week is talk to my best bud, Jesse, here. I feel Jesse, the same way. <laughs> Jesse, um, if somebody has an email, can they send it to us? They can send it to us at jauntymantis at gmail.com. Okay. And, 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 in the event that email were to become obsolete, how how would they get in contact with us? Uh, we are also on threads. Um, I don't know how to access our Twitter anymore. <laughs> the ongoing saga. Because, so someone said Trump tweeted again for the first time and I deleted my Twitter. I was just like, I'm done. And then mm. I was like, oh, I had the password for Jaunty Mantis saved on my app. So Interesting. So, There's a recovery system. Yeah. Yeah. Not that anyone is. I'm just checking if we did have an email. We don't. Mm. We don't have an email. Send us an email, people. Keep them Please. brief. Stop <laughs> it. Just let them write what they want to write. People you can't are, control players. People are <laughs> keeping them so brief they're not sending them. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah. You can email us at jauntymantis at gmail.com mm-hmm. uh, we are on threads as jauntymantis uh, and we are I think that's it for now yeah. we might have an Instagram that I made to set up threads but we don't use it mm-hmm. and what I want to hear from you dear listener is what do you do to design a campaign what are the the tips and best practices and pitfalls and your process because isn't it weird that the dungeon master guy doesn't really tell you how to do this see here's the thing that i worry about when we talk shit on the dmg mm-hmm. have you ever read the dmg cover to cover which one any the, of them the dmg2 for 3.5 is actually really good i will give that book props um i have not read enough of the 5e dmg which maybe it does say it there i don't know i've just gotten so okay here's the other part about being a grognard uh gamer you've gotten so used to certain things that you just assume that's the way it is no matter what so i have eaten some crow about forgotten realms recently in another episode we did i am going to re-examine the 5e dungeon master's guide and maybe I'll be eating crow on that as well. Okay. I look okay. forward to hearing what you find. <laughs> All right. Well, until then, it's time for our famous catchphrase, which is... Go play some fucking games or shit. Yeah. Go out there and design a campaign. Not a setting. That's for a future episode. Design a, Get out there and design a fucking campaign. <laughs> <laughs>